0: And again, that's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, today's message is called The Way of Love, and uh, I have to confess that um, today's message, uh, it's going to be challenging in some ways. Um, there's a part of me that didn't want to preach it because there's some things in it that made me uncomfortable, and you'll see why <laughs> in a moment. But I, I think this is a very important message. And the more that um, I was reading scripture, I felt very convicted that God was telling me, like, no, nah, you got you to gotta preach this message. And I actually got more excited about the message as I was uh, uh, exploring God's word, and God was opening up things to me. And so I'm very excited to share this with you. Um, But I just want to, you know, if you're squeamish about some of these things, uh, we're going to be talking about, like, you know, sexual immorality and things like that. Uh, Don't worry, we're not going to, it's not going to be graphic at all, right? Um, But I think it is important for God's people to talk about such things. And so with that being said, um, friends, uh, what do you make of a sign like this? Adults only in neon pink. What do you think that arrow is pointing to? You know, like, like I think it's funny sometimes. Like, you'll see, uh, some of you guys are smirking. <laughs> you ever see, like, the content ratings for movies? You know, like, like they tell you, like, oh, rated R, you know, uh, PG-13. And they tell you, like, what's in it, you know, that may be objectionable. And sometimes they'll say, like, adult situations or adult content. What does that mean? You know, I think adult situations can be, like, things like, you know, talking about taxes Or your retirement. You know, that's a very adult thing. You know, how to raise children. You know, what are you going to do when you grow up? Is is that what this is pointing to? You're going to go to a reading room that's going to teach you about retirement. You know, I think being an adult, because in in the Bible it talks about being a man of God or woman of God, right? You know, maybe that arrow is pointing to a Bible study. You know, you're going to go to a room with a bunch of Bibles so you can mature, right? So you can become an adult in Christ. Probably not, right? I think most of us, when we see that, we think this arrow is probably pointing to sin, right? <laughs> it's probably pointing to something that isn't so good for us, you know? And I think it's a funny thing that in our world, um, that, 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 that word, "adults" has come to mean things that, you know, sometimes will involve sex or, you know, things that, um, you know, are, are in many ways, sinful, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I, I do think that kids should not go in that room, right? I, I don't think a kid should go in that room, right? Whatever's in there, they probably shouldn't see it, um, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of funny that there's a message that is being sent, you know, by this world, intentionally or not, you know, I, I, I heard a pastor once who was like, man, this is of Satan that this happens, but we think that growing up means, that you become more comfortable with sinful things, um, sexual sin and, and other such things. Right? I remember when I was younger and I would watch TV or a movie with my mom. And anytime that like people were like kissing, or you know, they go into the bedroom and you know, maybe things happen, like I would see my mom and she would like tense up, right? It's like <laughs> she gets like very uncomfortable. And then she would immediately just like, whew! you know, I think my mom took some taekwondo or something. She's so fast, right? She. Like her, her arm would just go up and her hand would cover my eyes, right? And when I was younger, I'm like, mom, why are you doing that? You know, what is, what's going on? She's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just, yeah, just, I'm your mom, okay? Don't watch that, right? And you know, like sometimes she'd go like this and I try to like look in between, I'm like what's going on, right? You know, and it's funny because my mom would continue to do this. I seriously would come back from college, you know, I'm like 20 years old, 21, and my mom's still, you know? And and my reaction as I got older, you know, I'd be like, Mom, Mom. That's what Pastor Steve sounded like before I was Pastor Steve. Um, Mom, I'm not a kid anymore. Don't treat me like a baby, right? And, you know, a, a funny thing happened, though. As I was maturing, hopefully as a man of God, trying to be a man of God, There are times where I would, like, maybe not go like this, but I would, like, intentionally try to look away from things. You know, that might tempt me. Um, I was in Korea once, and I was walking around with some friends, and uh, there's this uh, young woman who was walking with me who just so happened to, uh, she she was, like, an aspiring actress. She had been on some shows on, you know, Korean television. And I'm not sure why that's relevant, but (laughs) it's just, just who she was. And we're walking around, and... We're in the subway, and there's like this huge ad that takes up like the whole wall. And there's like a woman who's like this, right? And she's like very scantily dressed, you know? And the moment I saw it, I just kind of went like this, and I just turned my eyes away. And I was probably, I think I was 21 years old at the time. And um, this young woman uh, looks at me. She saw me do it. And she was like, grow up, man. Grow up. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I, I think I even said this, like it's so like pompously self-righteous, I was like, no. <laughs> Look, it is because I am grown up that I'm not looking at it. You know, and I felt so good, like, oh, I'm so holy, right? But, but let, let me tell you, friends, I, I have to admit that, you know, I did that when I was 21, and, you know, I was trying really hard to guard my heart and to not, you know, fall into sexual sin. Uh, but I have to admit that, you know, probably in the last few years, I don't do that as much. You know, if, if there's like, you know, something on TV, you know, I'm not saying i necessarily like, oh, you know, <laughs> but I don't necessarily look away, right? And I think that there is a, a, a message that is being sent to us that, you know what, you're an adult, you should be able to handle that. It's no big deal, right? It's no big deal. That's what that, that my, my friend was saying to me, right? Hey, grow up. You know, stop being so immature. It, it, it's not that big of a deal. And friends, I think that, you know, for some of us who really have, have learned the importance of, of purity, that I think we learned that it is a big deal. And, and, and I think that's a lot of what this message is going to be about. I just want to say, you know, maybe some of you are thinking like, Pastor Steve, you know, I've heard messages like this before, you know, maybe when I was younger, you know, like, like maybe your parents would, you know, like that, that was like the main thing, you know, like the Bible says, you know, don't look at these things, you know. And I think that for some of us, there might be a little bit of a rebellion that's going on in your heart where you're like, come on, Steve, like seriously, you know, you, you, all of the things you could preach on. Remember, I just, my disclaimer at the beginning, I didn't want to preach on this. I really felt convicted that God was telling me that this is important. You know, and I think that our society, you know, tries to make excuses. Like, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, maybe some of you are wondering, hey, Steve, seriously, what's the harm? Like, like what is really the harm? Of all the things you could preach on, why this? It's not that big of a deal. Like, okay, it's probably not good, but is it really that harmful? Friends, um, I, I want to try to convince you through Scripture that it is a big deal. And, and I, I want you to keep an open mind. And I want to promise you that this message is not going to be simply, hey, the Bible said don't do it, so don't do it, right? That's not going to be this message. But I want you to see God's heart. Remember what this whole sermon series is about. Maybe it's hard to remember because we're on part 10. It's very ironic. Uh, The sermon series is called One. And I think this is the longest sermon series I've ever preached, you know? (laughs) Sermon series is called One. It has many, many parts, right? We're in double digits now. Uh, But friends, remember what the whole sermon series was about. Some of you guys, you know, weren't here at the beginning of the sermon series. It's that long ago. <laughs> um, but the, the whole point is, how do we become united with God? How do we become united with other people? Right? How do we break down those divisions? And to understand God's heart, we have to understand why uh, sexual immorality, as it calls it in the Bible, is a big deal. Why we need to guard our hearts. Why we need to... Uh, Be careful about that. And, you know, friends, I I am going to try to be as honest with you as possible that I'm not perfect in these areas. This is something I'm learning too. Yeah, there are times too where I'm just flipping through channels or I'm just clicking on things and, you know, you're just in a very innocent article about something, I don't know, godly. I don't know (laughs) about anything. And just at the bottom of the screen is some weird ad, right? And, you know, it's not your fault. It's not like you meant to, you know, look at that. And it's just there. And that happens, right? And there are many times where I don't look away either. Or sometimes I'm like, huh, maybe I'll just click on this link. Let's just see what happens, you know? No big deal, just, you know? It's like not even a thought that we give to it. And maybe we should be giving it more thought. And so, friends, if you ever struggle with it, or even if you feel resistance to it, I want to show you God's heart when it comes to this area. Uh, if I may be so bold, uh, as God has been revealing it to me in this scripture. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. And so friends, keep an open mind here. Uh, Let's let's take a look at these first two verses, which do not seem to be connected to the rest of this verse, uh, rest of the chapter, excuse me. But I want to make the argument that these first two verses are everything. It sets the tone for the rest of this stuff. So when it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, you are loved by God. God wants to bring you into relationship with him and wants you to become one with him. And he wants you to learn how to do that with other people and to do that with him, right? And then it says, and walk in love. In the NIV, it says, walk in the way of love. And the message uh, is titled, The Way of Love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and friends, I mean you could preach a whole uh, sermon just on this verse, this idea that um, we are meant to walk in love because Christ himself loved us, he gave himself up for us, he sacrificed everything for what, so that we could live right for our benefit for for, for our uh, all of that he sacrificed for us. And so, friends, we need to keep that in mind. And so you see in verse 3, but sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It's very easy to take the two verses away and just start talking about sexual immorality. But friends, what this whole message is about is not so much about sexual immorality. It is about love. And it is about how this is a perversion of love. It is not the way that we are supposed to be loving people, right? And so, uh, you know, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Now, in the NIV, they uh, uh, translate it as greed, right? But I want to use the, the, the Greek word and the word that it says in the ESV, which is what you see up here, uh, to kind of... Take a layer away from this, because on the surface, this seems a little weird, doesn't it? You see, sexual immorality, all impurity, and covetousness, right? And these things don't seem to be related, right? And it's actually going to go on to talk about uh, sexual immorality in the coming verses. But why is greed kind of thrown in there, or covetousness? Friends, I think that this is purposeful, and I think we need to understand covetousness and its role in the Bible, Right? Um, so I do think these things are related, and this is going to be the key to helping us understand how all of this is related to love. Okay? So it must not even be named among you or is proper among saints. Right? We become way too comfortable with these things. Right? We excuse it way too easily. And, and Paul is telling us that the standard should be not even a hint of this. That's what it says in the NIV. Not even a hint of sexual immorality and all impurity. Um, or covetousness. None of this stuff should be amongst uh, people who are following God. Um, so, friends, where you see the word covet, probably where, where most of us think of it, when you kind of search your brain and you think about Scripture, is from the Ten Commandments, right? And so I want to show you um, in the, the Old Testament, Exodus twenty seventeen. this is uh, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. So what does the word covet mean? What does it mean? Anyone want to hazard a guess? What does it mean to covet? Desire. Okay, you desire this thing, you look at it, and you're like, oh man, I want that. Mm, I need to get that. I need to own that. I need to possess that. Right. And so take a look at how it appears in the Ten Commandments. You got a house, right, an object, a thing just, you know, it's like bricks or back then. I, I don't know what they used wood, you know, like maybe there's a really fancy like wood, you know, Old Testament house, you know, like, man, you got the best shack in all the desert. This beautiful shack, right? You're like, oh, man, your shack is so much bigger. You, you use better wood or something, you know, so you look at that and you want it. But it also says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You look at their wife and you say, I want them. I want to possess them. And, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And friends, isn't it kind of weird? But, I mean, I think we understand this. That we have objects, things, just material things like houses, and, you know, if you've got livestock and just material goods alongside people. And people look at that and they say, I want that. I want to own that. I want to possess that. And friends, I think that that is what happens with a lot of sexual immorality. Is that we are not looking at people as children of God. But we are looking as things to, obs- to, to possess, as objects. Objects for our satisfaction. We we say, I want that. I want to have that. I want to own that. And friends, I want to show you, um, this is Dallas Willard's definition of love. And just compare that to coveting something. Compare that to the way that a lot of us may approach things like sex. And I think it's very interesting. Um, Dallas Willard says, love is not desire. That's what some of us think. Right? You see something and you want it and you say, oh, I love that. Mm, I love that car. Look at how, how nice that car looks, how fast that car is going to drive. Mm, I love that. Uh, he uses the example, example of chocolate cake. right? Um, so love is not desire. What love is, it, it means to will the good of others, to want the benefit of others. So we say, I love chocolate cake, but really... We want to eat it, right? What we mean by that is I desire chocolate cake, right? We love something or someone when we promote it's good for its own sake. People in relationships get this twisted all the time, right? Do you ever see people who like, they get like obsessed with someone, you know, maybe like you break up with somebody, you know, or you you get a, a, you know, a person who's like in love with another person, so to speak, and they just get obsessed. They stalk them, right? And they're like, oh, I can't live without them. I love them. I love them. I-, I know they have a restraining order against me. You know, I know they feel threatened by my physical presence. But I love them. I love them. And Dallas Willard is saying, no, you don't. You don't love them. You desire them. If you love them, you would want their benefit. And they're telling you very clearly by all the police reports, right? <laughs> that it's not in my benefit for you to stalk me like this. I don't want to be yours right but we approach love that way we get confused we say i want to possess that thing because i love it but if we loved it truly even if you didn't get any benefit out of it even if you didn't get to enjoy a relationship with that person but in their best interest was simply to let them go to not be in a relationship with them you know or if even like th- there was like someone better right if you really love them you would say hey Go be with that better, better person, you know? Or go, you know, just be free from me. Even if I get no benefit, I would want the good for you. That's love, friends, right? Look at the way that Jesus loved us, completely sacrificial. He gave up his life. For people that weren't going to benefit him, right? There were people who were mocking him. There were people who were spitting on him. People who were trolling him there on the cross, And he's just loving them. He's like, I'm dying for you. There's no benefit I'm getting from it. I'm not doing it so I can possess you. I'm doing it for your well-being. That's what love is, friends. And so we see, again, um, let's go back. Uh, So it says, now it's trying to give us examples of sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let's take a look at verse 5 first, because it's a more provocative one, right? Friends, remember, we said that it is a big deal. We treat these things like it's no big deal. We joke around, you know, we we make crude jokes all the time. You know, Um, we may look at things all the time and say, what's the big deal? You know, I'm just appreciating God's creation, you know, creation, appreciation. It's a beautiful woman or beautiful guy or whatever, you know. And what is the big deal? And friends, in verse five, we're starting to understand how big a deal it is. For you may be sure of this, This strong language here that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, again, there's that word, who is covetous, that is an idolater, right? Friends, do you ever feel like you need to have something? Like, oh, I need to have this or I'm going to die. I need to have it. I just need it so much. That's idolatry, right? That's what coveting does is that we make that thing in many ways our God, the thing we worship, the thing that we want most of all. I need to possess it, I just want it so much. And when we treat people that way, it says that we have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now why, friends? I wanna get past just a simple black and white understanding of this, where we may just look at this and say, oh, it's a punishment. You know what, if you're sexually immoral, God is gonna kick you out of the kingdom of God. Friends, I think that's a little too simplistic. And I think we know enough about the heart of God. I mean, seriously, read all of Ephesians and read about how it says that for by grace we have been saved, right? Not by our works, right? Read about all the things that Paul says about sin, how our sin does not separate us from God. So I don't think Paul is saying that this is a punishment, that God is mad at you for being sexually immoral so then he's gonna kick you out of the kingdom of God. But I think what he's saying is that for you to truly be in the kingdom of God. There is something about immorality, sexual immorality and covetousness that is incompatible with what the kingdom is about. You can be sure of this. You have no share in the kingdom of God if you have this kind of attitude and heart and practice. And the reason why is because what the kingdom of God is, not what it isn't. What is the kingdom of God? It is a place where Jesus fully reigns as king. Things are the way God wants it to be. And God is in full, complete relationship with us. In other words, in other words friends, the kingdom of God is a place where we are fully loved by God and we're able to fully love God back and other people. It is a place where we become one. One. we become one. We're just fully able to love other people. Love them as they are. As these children of God who are precious in God's sight. Friends, how can we do that when we're treating other people like objects? Selfishly. Just for our consumption, right? Like just for our enjoyment. It cannot be. It doesn't work. That's why covetousness when you treat someone like an object is such a big deal one of the things that you hear about sometimes and i think sometimes we hear it in a way where some people are starting to get numb to it because people are getting kind of sick of political correctness but i i I want us to um circle back just for a second to this phrase that you hear a lot where people say the objectification of women i think that's very important for God's people to be aware of. Not just the objectification of women, but the objectification of people, period. Anytime you make a person an object just for your consumption, it is falling short of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. Does that make sense, friends? Right? So if someone just exists for your enjoyment, um, just think about, you know, I mean, I'm going to use an example that's maybe a little bit more extreme, but I think you'll understand what I mean by this. You know, think about human trafficking. Why is human trafficking such a horrible thing? Why? Is it just because they don't have freedom? Yeah, I know that's a big deal. But I think the more alarming thing... I mean, you know, it is alarming that you're not giving people freedoms. But the reason why you're not giving them freedoms is because you treat them like a thing that you can buy and sell, right? Uh, I think I read some statistic, and I could be wrong on this because I'm not an expert, but I think most... um, human trafficking cases nowadays are some form of prostitution, of some form of sex slavery, right? And I don't think there's an accident there. But I think that that's what a lot of sexual immorality is, is when it's not an expression. I mean, friends, think about it. By the way, you know God created sex, right? You guys know that. Sex is meant to be good. But it's meant to be enjoyed in a love relationship where people are mutually invested in the good of other people, right? You want the best for that other person and your lives are physically being joined together, right? And you create life out of that. It's a beautiful thing. And friends, everything um, with sex is meant to be about love, right? Think about it, like what it, it produces. It produces life. And, and the parents in this room can tell you Uh, having a kid is all about sacrifice and love, right? You know, yeah, they they are there for your enjoyment. But I mean, you know, if if you think about like, oh, they're cute and I can take like, you know, uh, Instagram pictures and, you know, I can get famous because of this kid, you know. Friends, you're gonna be sorely mistaken. It is mostly sacrifice, right? It is mostly just giving of yourself. That's what sex produces. It produces love sacrificially. That's what it's meant to do. And yet, in this world, for a lot of people, it just becomes this thing that exists for my enjoyment. And this is where I think God looks at that and says, this cannot be. Where you just look at it as like, hey, you know what? I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my enjoyment, and I don't care about this other person. I don't care what happens to them. I don't care um, that they are a person. I'm just going to use them for my own sexual gratification. And the most extreme form of that is sexual slavery. And I think almost all of it. I hope all of us, please pray about this if you're, you know, if you're not bothered by this, but I think we all are. We look at that and we're like, that is wrong. That is evil. That cannot be. But friends, we can't have any hint of that. We can't have any hint of treating people like objects because we want to see people in their full humanity as God fully, truly intended them to be so that's why when we circle back and we look at the first verse, it may seem funny to you that the first example that that, that, uh, Paul uses in this passage uh, about sexual immorality is about our talk. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so, you know, we may joke around, you know, and think it's not a big deal. You know, the way that we talk about people, the way we talk about, um, you know, people that you find attractive. You know, um, the internet is full of these things and I don't need to give you any examples because I think you guys know what I mean. When people talk about people and they just talk about them as if they are an object for their enjoyment or as if, you know, they are just what they are on the outside. They're, They're just looks, you know, and we rate them and we, you know, joke about them. As if they're not a child of God. And it starts there, friends. And, and, and I think that even something as simple as that is something that, that, you know, Paul is warning us. Hey, you gotta be careful, right? Not even a hint of this can exist for us who are meant to be in the kingdom of God. Now, I wanna just do a real quick disclaimer real quick. Uh, friends, uh, we are a ministry of grace, and I know we're not perfect in this, and I don't think that the fruit of this message should be that we just go around policing other people's words. Like, hey, don't talk like that. I, I don't want that to be the fruit of this. I want you to search your own heart and your own behaviors. And I think, it, like, like the kingdom of God, it always needs to start there, right? I think Jesus is very clear about this. You've got to work through your own stuff before you start dealing with other people. So if this is an issue for you, then I don't think we have the moral right to go to another person and be like, hey, stop it when you yourself are struggling with that, right? So I think we need to work on that stuff first. Now, if you um, are in a, a like, kind of discipling relationship or like, you know, a relationship where you guys really do uh, love one another and you're trying to help each other grow, then by all means, you know, that person has given you permission to rebuke them or speak into their life. That's a different story. But if that person hasn't given you permission, you don't know this person, you don't really know their struggle or their journey, Don't go around censoring other people's words. I don't think that's what this message is about. But I think in our own hearts, what are ways that we've gotten loose with our words? We've gotten loose about the way that we joke. And and I think that, you know, Paul is very clear that we gotta put a stop to that. That has no place in the kingdom of God. And then it says in verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, I think that uh, there is a way that, you know, when you think about like, what does that mean? Deceive, like like, let, let no one deceive you with empty words. I think that when it comes to these areas, we have a lot of empty words that are meant to kind of make it okay. You know, like, like I was saying before, when people say, hey, it's no big deal, calm down. Like, seriously, not a big deal, dude. You know, or, or how about this? I was just joking. Right? That, that's, that's a coverall for a lot of us. We say, I was just joking. You know, and, and as if that's going to make it okay. But this is what I've learned about joking, is that we often use that as an excuse for the things that are really in our heart. But why did we say it in the first place? You know, there's some truth to it. And friends, let us not deceive ourselves with empty words, like saying it's not a big deal or saying that we're just joking. And I- I'm going to do this in a blanket way. I have never personally rebuked anyone for this. But I know people in this ministry, friends, I just, I, just bear with me for a second. This is going to be a little rough for some of you. <laughs> I-, I know some people in this ministry rates other people in our ministry. They give a list, a top five of people who are attractive. And I will never personally rebuke you for this unless you've given me permission to do so. Okay? But friends, can, can I just ask you, please, stop doing it. Stop doing it. That's not proper for the people of God. Let's not do that. I did that in middle school, I think. <laughs> you know, like, hey, you know, let's give your top five of these girls and, you know... I remember um, I was at a camp, actually. Actually, I wasn't even in middle school. I was a sophomore. And we did this, like, like, you know, first day of camp, uh, I was in a cabin full of guys, and we're just scoping out the girls at the camp. We're supposed to be there for Jesus, but we're all, like, scoping out the girls, right? And, you know, one of the guys at night, you know, the counselor's like, go to bed, guys! Go to bed! And as soon as he falls asleep, you know, we hear him snoring, we're like, all right, guys, who do you think is cute? All right. who, who do you think is the most attractive, right? And so we ranked the girls and we gave a top five. And I remember there's this one girl that a lot of people were ranking high. And I had no idea who this girl was. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, she's kind of cute. You know, actually later this person became like one of my best friends. And I look back on that and I'm thinking like, man, you had no idea who this girl is. You knew nothing about her, just her face, just her physical appearance. And actually, I mean, you know, just the the layers and the complexities of who we are as human beings. This girl had been through a lot. She'd been through a lot in life. You know, she had a lot of struggles and a, a lot of depth. She's an amazing person, one of my best friends. But back then, I didn't see her like that. I just saw her as a face, as something for my own enjoyment. And even something as simple as that, It's not proper for the people of God. And so, yeah, friends, I mean, again, I'm not going to go around rebuking people for doing the top five thing, you know, but I want to ask you to stop it, please. In Jesus' name, please stop it, okay? And, you know, we're not going to be perfect in these areas. And there are some people who maybe weren't here for this message or maybe disagree with me. No, that's fine, you know. But I, I want you to search your heart. What are ways that we are treating people like objects rather than the full people of God they are meant to be? And it says, do not become partners with them. It's very easy to get caught up in the way other people talk. You're out there in the world. And I remember um, you know, when I was kind of falling away from God a little bit, I was a part of a fraternity um, for a season. I it was a pledge and I ended up, when I rededicated my life to Christ, I quit. Um, because I realized that, I was being influenced by the people I was around. And one of the ways I was being influenced was by the way they talked. No, I was just around the way they talked all the time that I started talking like them. You know, it's very easy for that to happen. But do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, this is the part in the message that um, every time in, in my preparation, as I was soaking in the word of God, God was kind of pushing me in this direction and I kept resisting uh, because I was embarrassed and because I have shame. And when we talk about uh, sexual sin, I think for a lot of us, it's very tempting to hide. And to just be like, oh, you know what? I, I don't want people to know about this. this is nasty. You know, I don't want people to think of me in this way. And this is what shame does. It makes us hide. Right? And that's what it's talking about. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. There are many Christ followers, and friends, I'm included in this, that we go around during the daytime, or you know, we're at church, And we present ourselves in such a way where, where, you know, people wouldn't know your struggle. But at night, under the cover of darkness, we're doing things that we're not so proud of, that we wouldn't want other people to know about. We hide those things, right? But, you know, Paul is very clear about this. And I think we know this in our heart. God knows what those things are. And, And that the light of Christ is meant to expose that so that we're not living double lives, so we're not doing these things that we know ultimately aren't fitting for the people of God, aren't fitting for the kingdom of God. So God wants to root those things out. Um, but friends, I, I just want to um, you know, talk about maybe some of the struggles that I've had. And this is the part where I just had resistance. I was like, oh, Pastor Steve, like, there's junior high people in the, the, the congregation, and you know people look up to you, and, you know, if you confess this, like, they're going to look at you different. And friends, those are lies from the enemy. And I, I just want to tell you, um, there's statistics out there. Um, over 80% of, of men, of, of, you know, males, uh, have looked at pornography. And the other 20% are lying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. The other 20% don't have computers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I actually am kind of encouraged by that statistic because there's 20% who aren't. You know, and and again, maybe they're lying. You know, 80% report (laughs) that they do that. I I think for women, it's something like 60%. You know, so it's still high. You know, and I'm not going to get up here and say that I'm one of the 20% that's never looked at pornography. It's not true. I was exposed to it in high school. And I remember the first time I saw it, it was like shocking, but, you know, I was drawn to it, you know. And once the internet came out and... You know, there was access to it all the time. I mean, oh my gosh. It's like, you know, especially if you start to get hooked on it, you know, and and your body starts producing certain chemicals when you see it. You know, the way I relate the struggle for a, 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 so for a person of God who's struggling with lust, um, struggling, struggling with sexual sin or pornography, you have a computer in your room. It's like having a drug dealer in the corner of your room all the time as a drug addict, Right? And just telling that person, hey, you know what? Just be clean. Just refuse it. But the drug dealer is just sitting there all the time. Like, hey, man, I'm here. (laughs) You ever want to give in? You ever have a moment of weakness? I'm right here. No one has to know. No one has to know. And it's like the the drug dealer is hidden. No one else sees him. But you do. And you always have access to that drug dealer. It's a serious struggle. It's a hard thing. I struggled with it for years. For years, friends. And, and, you know, I, I, I bet there's other brothers, there's people right now, you know, maybe even sisters who are struggling with those things. You know, again, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> um, but I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know that I think that there is hope. And I don't share this um, to brag in any way because I still struggle with lust. I still linger too much on certain images on the internet, right? Click on links I shouldn't. You know, it's an ongoing struggle and battle. So please don't hear that your pastor is perfect, because he is not. But I will say this, that for the most part, you know, not, not always 100%, for the most part, like 99% of the time, I'm, I've been able to cut out the actual pornography. And I want to share with you a little bit how I did it. Maybe if it's helpful for you, or you can just think about it. But the, the, the impetus was for me, when I heard the story of a porn star, now, I wasn't perfect after this. I don't want to say, like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, you know, like, I'm never going to look at it again. wasn't perfect. But this was the turning of the corner for me. Was, um, I saw this this uh, special on television about this porn star. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it was a very famous one. And someone that I, I just am ashamed to say that I had seen before, you know, in a not-so-pleasant light. Um, and, uh, you know... So I had just seen this woman and just been like, oh, she's attractive and, you know, whatever. You know what whatever means. Uh, But, you know, uh, they were just telling the story of her life. And they were talking about how her mother died when she was very young. She was raised by a single father. And her father was never home. And she grew up in in her high school. Um, She was bullied all the time. She hardly had any friends. She hardly got along with anyone. But then, you know, she started to blossom physically, and so some guy took interest in her. The guy was a, like, he was a sleazebag. And he got her uh, into stripping, so she became a stripper. She lived in Nevada, so it was very easy to do. And um, eventually, um, her, I believe it was her boyfriend's uh, uh, stepfather, uh, they were out on a boat, and um, he raped her she actually was assaulted and raped multiple times. That she said, like, whenever you see me performing on screen, the only thought that's going through my head is how much I hate men. And I remember hearing that and, and, and just hearing other people talk about this profession where we're like, oh, it looks like they're having so much fun. And, you know, like, oh, man, they're making so much money. That's their choice. I remember hearing someone say that no one really chooses that profession, like, like really, if they had like all the choices in the world. You know, but there is a large percentage of the people who are in this profession who are very, very broken, gone through abuse. They are human beings with a story and struggle. And just hearing that firsthand, I couldn't look at that person as a sexual object anymore. Because I saw that she's a daughter of God who's just very, very broken. You know, that humanizing element, I I realized that this industry, the pornography industry, it's evil, friends. And I know that it may not seem like um, this thing that, um, you know, like, hey, what's the harm? Everyone's doing it, you know. But friends, I got to tell you that every time I'm clicking on one of those videos, or clicking on one of those images, they get money. They're not doing it just for whatever. They're doing it for money. Right? And so I'm participating in that. I'm making that happen. Right? Even in just some small way. But as the scripture says, not even a hint. And and I got to tell you, again, I sympathize with the struggle, friends. I really do. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying this so you shame yourself. Because... I just want to be real. If you have an addiction to pornography and you hear this message and you're like, oh yeah, they are human beings. And then you go home and you try to practice some of these things or you just try to not do it, that some habits are going to kick in and you're probably going to fail. And I just want to be honest about that. Again, it's like having a drug dealer in the corner of your room all the time. It's a hard struggle. But what I want to encourage you to do more and more is to not let yourself get away with it not convince yourself it's not a big deal. That's what this message is about, right? It's not to say that you're gonna have not a hint of sexual immorality tomorrow just because you heard a sermon. But I'm trying to share with you that that is God's heart for you. And that is where we're going. And that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. So you're in process. You're not perfect. You're on a journey, right? But we should be moving to this place where we are able to fully Love people, care about people, think about people with their full humanity in mind, wanting the very best for them, and not just using them for our own exploitation or enjoyment. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. And so friends, you know, I just want to just very quickly just suggest, if you are struggling with this, I want to encourage you uh, to find some accountability. You know, share with somebody. You can share with me. I already shared with you that I've struggled with this in my life. There's no way that, like you're going to share with me and all of a sudden, this is what the deceiver does. Even you hear your pastor confessing that he struggled with pornography. But still, the moment before you, you come to share that with me, the, the enemy's going to whisper in your ear and say, he's going to judge you. Don't share with him, right? It's baloney. That is a lie from Satan. Rebuke Satan when that happens, okay? There's no way I'm going to judge you. I'm not going to look at you and think any less of you because I've been there too, friends, right? And, and that is the lie that keeps us in darkness is that no one understands. People are going to judge you. People are going to think you're scum of the earth. Friends, that is not true because we are all broken sinners in the hands of a merciful God, right? So some, some of you who maybe haven't struggled with this, some of you um, who are in middle school and, and you know, maybe you haven't struggled with this yet, I just want to encourage you to pursue your purity too. Please, you know, someone told me once that the best way to combat um, these problems, human trafficking, you know, all these big issues is to disciple middle schoolers. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, you know, that a lot of these pitfalls and addictions and sort of patterns of behavior, that that can be solved by not even going down that road. And so, friends, uh, I just want you to know you are not alone. But God is calling us to truly be the people of God. And I want to encourage you that through a lot of grace, and and by the way, for me, like years of accountability. And and again, I'm still not perfect, but God is working in my life. But to, you know, stop uh, looking at pornography, that it took years of accountability, much, much grace that God was pouring out in my life. it took a long time it was not overnight but I want you to know that there is hope and we can get there we can get to where God is leading us that's God's heart for you so I want to close this message simply with this Um, we have this picture here it says love God, love people I just want to give you an image, a picture friends, of what the people of God are supposed to be remember our definition of love when you are able to want and will the best for someone else, the very best. In this world, so much brokenness is caused by people who do not treat each other that way. Whether it's in areas of sex or areas of money, right? Like even, I mean, greed, that's a big area where we just look at people's dollar signs. We look at what they can do for us. And we exploit them and we, we take advantage of them because we don't care about their full humanity. So much brokenness in this world, probably some of the brokenness in your life is when people took advantage of you, when people didn't treat you as a full human, but you were just an object in their way, or an object that they were used and they used and they spit out. But friends, can you imagine a people of God? I don't know why the people of God are on a beach, why that makes them more holy, but I don't know, just roll with it. They just seem more at peace, you know. It's beautiful out here. We're in, we're in the ocean. And people are more spiritual at the ocean, I guess. Um, but friends, can you imagine these people out here are just loving on each other. They're, they're fully loving each other with their full humanity. They are learning to love God and love their neighbor as beloved children of God. They're not exploiting them. They're not taking advantage of them. You're not treating them like objects. But we are fully invested in the other person, in their well-being, their shalom, their goodness, their holiness. Can you imagine what kind of church that would be if we were a church like that? Can you imagine what the people of God would be if we fully treated people with this kind of love? I think the world would take notice. Isn't that what we want? So many people, they come to church for community. You know why, friends? Because there's a lot of community out there in the world. But there's a lot of community that would chew you up and spit you out. Where people just go there, you know, they're, they're, they talk to you, they're like, hey, do you have something to offer me? Oh, you don't? Well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. So much community like that but to come to church and to be valued because you are a child of God, because of your identity, and not because of what you do. It is a a life-giving community. It is what God intends. And that can only be when we love each other and we want the best for them. And we pray for that vision. We work on it. We don't let ourselves get away with those little, nagging little habits of talking about people as objects, of Looking at people as objects, we got to work on it. And God's grace will be there for you. But, friends, we got to fight. We got to fight together. We got to fight for our purity. We got to fight for the kingdom of God so that we can be this kind of community, that we can love each other fully as God intended us to. Amen? Amen. Praise team, can you come up? And I just want to give you a moment. There's so many different things that perhaps God is speaking to you in this message. And I just want to leave you for a moment, just you and God. Let's just take a moment to just breathe and rest and hear from God. Friends, is there something that's making you really uncomfortable? Is there something that's bothering you that maybe started bubbling up during this message or just right now as you're starting to still yourself? I want to encourage you right now to bring that before God. Just simply name it. Remember that God's people are meant to be people who live in the light. The light wants to expose darkness. The deceiver, Satan, wants those things to hide. Satan wants those nagging habits, those ways that we have treated people like objects. Satan doesn't want you to deal with that. He wants you to just excuse it. If there's tension, there's discomfort, friends, perhaps there's motion there too where God is working, God is uncovering things in your heart and your life. Maybe there's, you feel convicted you need to confess sin. Friends, we are not perfect. There's not a single one of us that's perfect in this area, I guarantee you. So nobody come up, can come up here and just claim they're holier than thou and claim they're the only one who doesn't struggle with this. We all do in some measure or order because we're bombarded by, bombarded by this culture all the time telling us it's no big deal, telling us you should just indulge. Friends, it is a heavy burden to bear. It is a a, a rising tide. But friends, I believe that the tide of the Holy Spirit, His grace is an ocean. And it is mightier than the tide of this world. The love of God is greater than the tide of this world. So friends, if you are convicted or maybe you're feeling shame at something you've done, something you've said, something you've thought I want to encourage you right now to confess that before God and to know that he is faithful and just to forgive you for all your sin and unrighteousness your sin will be no more it will be washed away in that ocean of grace friends he loves you he is for you he wants you to be one with him and one with your fellow people of God. So let's come before God with whatever God is putting on your heart right now. Let's go to Him now. Jesus, thank you. Whatever you are putting on people's hearts, however you are convicting we need you. We need to stop thinking and acting on people as if they are just there as objects for enjoyment cannot be. It affects our soul. It affects God, our way of being as people of God. Even if they don't know we're doing it for God, this cannot be for us. We need to learn to fully love people and see their full fully Jesus, teach us how to do that, God. Give us your grace for the ways that we fail, God the ways that we slip up, for the ways we've gotten lazy, for the ways we've gotten complacent, for the ways that we've listened to the, the lies of this world that I've told us it's no big deal, that told us that it's okay, that these things are permissible. God, teach us, Lord, your God, of holiness, God, because you want us to be the people of God who live fully in your kingdom, not treating people like objects anymore. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your love that you are pouring out to us all the time. God, help us to receive that love and to bask in it, God, in all the ways that we need to receive that. God, if there's any of us that need forgiveness for the ways that we treated other people, for the ways we thought of or talked about other people, God, show us, Lord, who we are meant to be. Maybe there's some of us that believe those lies that we are nothing but objects for people's enjoyment, that we need to dress ourselves up or make ourselves look good in order to have value. Lord, and you are telling us, God, that our value comes from Christ. You are telling us that we are beautiful because you made us. Not because somebody tells us that we look good. Not because the changing standards of this world find us beautiful in their eyes, God. But because you have declared that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can rest in your approval of us, of your pleasure and your love and who we are. It is the love we have always been searching for. and It is the love that you are teaching us to extend to other people, to look at people with those eyes, the eyes of God that can see their full worth as children of God. Lord, forgive us for ways we fall short. And Lord, inspire us, God, to continue to walk in the way of love, in the way that you call us to be like you.